0: I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show hosted by two book nerd friends who talk to other book nerds, including authors, poets, librarians, readers, and this week, our favorite bookseller. Our show follows this
1: format. We begin with my crabby dullness and Amy's sometimes maddening enthusiasm. It took us a little bit of time to become self-aware and recognize that we embody the grumpy sunshine trope that we often see in
0: literature. That is followed by a fun conversation with a new bookish friend about what they love about being a bookworm. Then we talk about what we're reading, and finally we put our guest on the hot seat to answer some silly probing questions. We're glad you've joined us. This is our
1: holiday gift-giving episode with Sam Miller from Carmichael's Bookstore. Sam always gives us great recommendations for what to buy, from literary fiction to cookbooks to picture books and everything in between. So we're always happy to see Sam and chat with her about books. So get your pens ready because there's lots of stuff to write down.
0: Or if you don't want to get your pen ready, we will have all of these in our show in our show notes. But I think this is the third year that Sam has done this with us. Yeah, yeah, it is. Last year, we quizzed her on nutcrackers. We're not <laughs> going to put her, and she does not like nutcrackers. We're not going to put her through that kind of hell this year. Uh, but first, Carrie, we're getting all ready for Thanksgiving. You getting ready for Thanksgiving? Uh, well, I mean, as ready as I get. I'm cleaning my
1: house, not because we're having people into it, just because... My house is kind of funky right now, so uh, it needs to be cleaned. So my big plans are cleaning up, reading. That's it. Those are my big plans.
0: While my plan is, I'm very excited about this. I am not making Thanksgiving dinner, and I am pretty psyched about it. My middle son has moved away and he's going to have to work on Thanksgiving. And he was sad about it. So I told him that I would come and spend Thanksgiving with him. So that is what I'm doing. And I am excited that I am eating Thanksgiving out at a restaurant. Are,
1: are you just going to sit, sit in the dining room like the whole day and just like cheer him on? And
0: <laughs> He's a chef. He has to be there to help facilitate Thanksgiving lunch brunch at the restaurant he works at. But then he should be able to be off by three o'clock and he and I are going to go then and have Thanksgiving dinner elsewhere. Well, that'll be nice. But I am going to go to his Thanksgiving lunch to see him in action, but I don't have to cook it. So it's all the better. I love to cook, but I do not like making Thanksgiving dinner. I loathe it, actually. That makes me sound like a humbug as far as Thanksgiving goes, but it's a whole lot of work for very little time actually enjoying it, I feel like.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I I am never going to cook Thanksgiving. Uh, My mother-in-law does it. And if, if she decides that she's no longer doing it, I told my husband, I'm like, I'm not doing that crap. I have no desire. Don't care. We'll either eat out or get Chinese food or, you know, like I'm not doing it. I just don't care. So,
0: so Speaking, you're not the only humbug. I'm not the only humbug. Well, we always know you're a little bit of a humbug, but That's it's okay. more of a it's more against my character generally to be a humbug. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> this is a fun episode with lots of uh, book ideas for family, friends, and and most importantly yourself. We've got our favorite bookseller in the whole wide world favorite one sam miller here from carmichael's books sam thanks for
0: being with us of course it's my pleasure so it we're coming up on the holiday season this is going to air right before thanksgiving tell us what's going on in the book world here right before the holidays well it's time to get
2: shopping yeah <laughs> in general in the world like there's a lot of feeling like the pandemic's over the supply chain issues are over but That's not actually true on both counts, especially on the supply chain side. Lots of the same issues that plagued us for the past two years as far as books being made available, paper shortages and other materials that you need to make books being short, books coming from overseas, shipping still being crowded, ports being overfilled. All those things are still happening. They're just not really in the forefront of the news the way they were. So my advice is if you see something that you want, get it. They'll be like me and be a recon shopper and think, oh, I'm going to go home and think about that and then go back and it's gone and they won't be able to get any more till February. So if there's something that you see, my best advice to you is get it done. And then
1: if you decide, if you change your mind later, you can always return it within a three month period or whatever, whatever the return policy is.
2: Right. Exactly. But don't sleep on things because it may not be in the news as much as it was in the past years, but there are still issues. Okay.
1: Carmichael's has published their catalog and I'm actually going to stop in today because I ordered a book so I'm going to stop in and look at a real paper one because I have a hard time like I want to be up close and see the things but it's always fun to look at that so so talk to us a little bit we're going to let you totally you know like take over here do it in whatever order you want you can mix it up however you want to do it but talk to us about all of these awesome books that are
2: well, it, out and about. I feel like I say it every year, but it's been a really good reading year for me personally. When I was called upon for the catalog to name my book of the year, it was really, really hard, and I sat with it for weeks and weeks and had to have some gentle prodding to be like, "We kind of really need that," book of the catalog. <laughs> which is a, a good, th- a good problem for a reader to have. And so I'm going to talk about some books that are in the catalog, some new books that are coming for the season, and maybe some favorites that you might have missed along the way, because obviously there's a whole lot of books out there.
1: So let me ask a quick question. So when you make a recommendation for the catalog, are you limited to you can give us five or or do you have well, to pick one? All,
2: it's a kind of a co-writing collaborative effort as far as the titles that we choose. You know, a list is drafted of some potentials and then, you know, people can Make their cases as far as like vetoing some or suggesting some that might be not included in the first time. And then there's the special page that's just the booksellers and you. It's your book of the year, Mm -hmm. so that's your pick, right? Whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever kind of book, it's a 2022 release. That's your book of the year. That's what I was struggling with. It's like I got it down to four, then I got it down to three, and then I picked finally. And then someone else had my pick too. So there's (laughs) two of us who picked it. So.
0: That's hard yeah, to pick a hard. top one. Yeah,
1: although I feel like for f- I, I feel like I've gotten less generous with my fives, or I don't know. But I, I could, off the top of my head, I can only think of one book, and I'm actually going to talk about it today that I read recently that I gave five stars to. But there have been others, have there? Yes, because I remember you saying
0: I gave this five stars.
1: Okay, well, also, but I think there's only for the year. I think there's only maybe three books that have gotten that. So anyway,
2: okay, carry on. In fiction, one of my favorite books of the year, I did not pick it as my favorite book of the year because someone else already did. And before I knew someone had a double, we were trying to maximize our book choices. But it's a new book. It's a debut novel by Catherine Newman, who for many years was the etiquette columnist for Real Simple Magazine, who I loved her column because I felt like it was... Bare bones, like real life etiquette, as opposed to what fork, what knife, which fish, like that kind of thing that has no bearing on my life whatsoever. But it's more about like the sticky human situations, like how do I navigate, you know, this obnoxious family member, or how do I, which we all have exactly, (laughs) or like how do I cope with this problem neighbor? Uh, But anyway, she's written a new novel. It's kind of like a Valentine to a departed friend, like her best friend passed away a couple years ago. Uh, The book's called "We All Want Impossible Things." It's about One friend giving up everything else in life to spend the last bit of time with that friend who's going to die. So it's hanging out in hospice, which sounds like, oh, that's not very happy. But it's so life affirming. It's so wonderful. You'll beg to join this found family because it's like this friend and then the other friend and then that friend's family. And then and it's just the humor that is found in those situations, too, that you have to have to cope with this terrible thing that's happening. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. So definitely one of my top picks for the year. Yes, it sounds like not maybe something you'd want to give for Christmas, but actually it is something you'd want to give for Christmas because it's those kind of books about like the ties that bind that are just like really stick with you as a reader.
1: So is this a book that you're going to both laugh and cry? I mean, like, did you, oh, did you experience both?
2: Yes. Okay. And it it's not just like smiling because that was funny, but like laugh out loud because okay. it was funny, okay. which is rare in a book mm. for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that's also super, ooh, its maybe not you want to give, but you do want to give, <laughs> which is going to make BookTok fans really, really happy, is Madeline Miller, mm. author of Song of Achilles and Circe, has a new book. It's just a short story, but it's wonderful. It's called Galatea, which so it's about the Pygmalion myth. And boy, she really goes there. I mean, it's short, but it packs a wallop. And really? it is like the yellow wallpaper meets hashtag me too meets all the this new trend of reworking myths for our time it's fantastic but it again it's just a short story get excited but don't get too excited she is working on another novel about persephone but i did recently read that she has long covid Um, so that is of course throwing a monkey wrench at her
0: writing process okay so i have a question about this because i know novellas are they're coming back into vogue at least in sci-fi fantasy and things But when you sell a short story, like how do you sell a bound short story? It's just like, a little bitty like?
2: hardcover that would like fit in a stocking size or oh, in your back okay. pocket size. Oh, okay. And it's a really beautiful edition, also. But oh, that's
0: cool. It is just like a small bound short story. It's. I love that it look. It looks a little different, so yeah. it just doesn't look like a like like right. a really super like thin like box. someone was
2: underachieving. No, it doesn't look like that. <laughs> Uh, Another one of note to especially literary fiction fans, Catherine Dunn, who of course had Geek Love back in the 90s and everybody read Geek Love and we talked about Geek Love. She had an unpublished novel that's actually been published now. It's called Toad. I haven't read it yet, but I'm super stoked to get into that and get back that like extra freaky feel (laughs) that she
0: was so good at. Now she passed away. Yes, she
2: died in 2016. So again, this is a good example of, you know, just because you're dead doesn't mean you can't have a new book.
1: So- You said Toad. Is that T-O-A-D? Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's going to be a little bit weirder than (laughs) T-O-W-E-D. Okay.
0: Yes. I read Geek Love in in Mm -hmm. a book club I was in way back when it came out, and it was freaky. I remember really liking it, but sometimes I think I should go back and read that and see... What my impression of it is now. Have you reread it recently? I have not reread it recently, but I can
2: imagine it would be a fruitful discussion for a book club. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And some of that might have been, what the
0: heck was this? <laughs> yeah.
2: Did you read it, Carrie? I did, uh, based
0: on your recommendation. Oh, really? Yeah. What? yeah. Did you like it? I yeah, don't I did.
1: I did. But it was, yeah, definitely like weird. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, Cormac McCarthy has not one but two books coming out As for Cormac McCarthy fans. And they're kind of a little different. One is called The Passenger that's already out. And one is called Stella Maris. And it comes out on the 6th of December. They're both the story of two siblings. One who's a math genius and the other one who uh, the toll it takes. A sibling who's a math genius also has schizophrenia. So she's institutionalized. So her brother is kind of coping with what that looks like. From his point of view, which is what the passengers about, and then Stella Maris, the second book, is actually transcripts of her therapy sessions while she's institutionalized. Oh wow! So they're, companion, they're sort of. companions. They're yeah. companions, yes. And apparently, Mister McCarthy has been super into math, so he's been hanging out with lots of mathematicians and physicists, and so that comes through in this writing. So I think not only people who love his amazing use of language and punctuation or hate of punctuation, depending (laughs) on whether you like it or not, will also might be intrigued and might pick up some new people because of the math. Like Mm. he really dives deep into it. Apparently it's like his new passion. So he Hmm. brings that to these fictional works. Have you ever read Cormac McCarthy? I only read All the Pretty Horses. Okay. And I thought it was amazing what he did with language but his hatred of punctuation <laughs> really bothers me i have trouble with dialects as a reader i have trouble with creative use of punctuation because i kind of feel like you know those apostrophes are your friend those quotes are your friend <laughs> right. they're helping the reader it's understand kinda, right. it's like he thinks they're distracting marks is what, what he said on the oprah show mm-hmm. i think when she chose the road as her book pick
0: my analogy would be like when you're driving those road signs and Thought signs (laughs) those are there to help you and prevent (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's
2: right well and i feel like i was able to enjoy that book because i read parts of it out loud and at least until i was able to get into like okay this is how the rhythm which is how like if i had to read faulkner or somebody else who writes like that that's how i have to do it because my brain has trouble if it's not you know traditionally formatted on the page Mm -hmm. but obviously he has tons and tons of fans and they're super happy that he has new book not just a new book but new books and that's terrific so we've been selling lots and lots and lots
0: of them his fans are very happy about it Uh, he's got to be pretty old these may be his last maybe i mean i hope not books yeah but yes it's interesting to me When people, as they get older, get passionate about things that maybe they weren't so much passionate, like this new discovery, not discovery, but his new love of math. Yeah. I think if
2: you're that kind of artist, you have a creative, curious mind, right? So I think it would be interesting to see the way it feeds into something that seems like an opposite, which is like the written word. Usually those things are viewed as two separate things. Uh, another one I read and can totally vouch for was a debut. It's called Whalebone Theater by mm. Johanna Quinn. Like I said, it's a debut from a British author. It's historical fiction about two siblings who live on the coast in Britain and a whale washes up. And so they use the bones to make a theater when they're <sighs> children. It's set in between the world wars. And then they both grow up to participate in World War II. But that theme of drama and the things that they learned and experienced in the theater kind of is woven through the entire book. So it's really, really good, especially for fans of historical fiction or World War II fiction. But it's kind of a cut above some of those, and I don't mean to knock those, but some of those have some very basic prosaic writing that are very plot-driven. But she has a really beautiful use of language, and she has a really great turn of phrase. So I really enjoyed it. I love the history part, too. But there were lots of times when I would be reading, I'd be like, oh... Nice. That is a totally good turn of phrase. So, if you're a reader who really enjoys that kind of thing, I think you'd really like it.
0: First of all, I love the title. That is a great title. Second of all, I am a historical fiction reader, but I got a little saturated with World War II historical fiction.
2: Well, it's almost equally weighted, Amy, between the two. So, Mm -hmm. like the first part is like a, a coming of age. They have to be kind absent parents they're, okay. they're actually a little worse than that but let's <laughs> say absent parents so they're able to have all these adventures they put on these plays they're tiny little artists so that part's all very interesting like there's mm-hmm. a this russian painter who comes in the scene and helps them with the theater and so that there's all sorts of interesting things and then they kind of, like i said they kind of grow up and then the second world war happens and they're participating but it's done like, you're still
0: having those thematic themes. Mm. The way you describe it, it reminds me a little bit of All the Light We Cannot See, and that that one, it was definitely about World War II, but it was also, like, about the lives of these children before, yes. and the whole radio. Th- I mean, so it wasn't just... The war. Other things were woven in there. And I think there are other things woven in this one. So yeah. hopefully, if other readers are have World War II exhaustion, they... They can they find other things in They wouldn't just it be well. like,
2: "Oh no, not this one." Yeah,
0: well, I'm sure I will go back to it eventually, and I do like a story that's uh, about World War II that's a, a little different, you right. know, and right. a different theater or something I've never thought about before. But
2: no, subject fatigue is real.
0: Subject mm. fatigue, yeah, and certainly, like everything else, it's like there there isn't all
2: the light we cannot see. There is a Nightingale and then everybody's like, oh, well, our publishing house needs to get us one of those. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, the market's flooded for a few years because people want them. But I think this is a little bit more than that. So, and I really do. I'm very curious about what she's going to do next because she, I think she's a terrific writer and it's a really amazing debut. Uh, Moving on to mystery, for people who are uh, Locked Room Agatha Christie fans, there's actually a new anthology called Marple, which is, of course, uh, a bunch of modern... Locked Room mystery writers and some other writers, including some YA writers, taking on a new mystery with her classic detective, Miss Marple. Interesting. So we've got Ruth Ware, we've got Lucy Foley. So he's like, oh, well, they're they carrying on her tradition anyway. But you also have some authors like Lee Bardugo mm-hmm. and some other YA authors taking it on too. So I appreciated one with this anthology. It's one like we recognize all the authors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes an anthology is like, this might be awesome, but like... I've never heard of any of these folks. Mm-hmm. But this one, you've heard of mm-hmm. these folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a, kind of an interesting cross-section of authors, not just the ones you'd think of automatically to participate in this.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah, and a, and a lot of the people who are Agatha Christie people have read all of Agatha Christie, and maybe they like to reread them, but it's nice to have something else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think
2: if you're a true fan, too, sometimes that's really fun. I, at least it is for me. This is the way my personality works. It Because either I'm going to be like, oh, this is absolute. Spot on. Great job. Great addition to the canon. Or it's like, you got it wrong. And let me point out all the ways <laughs> you messed up. She totally would not have done this.
0: So let me ask this question. It has to do with as far as like ordering books. So for instance, my mother often needs large print books. So if you were buying for somebody who needs a large print book, I think my mother might like this marble. But I know not all books come in large print. That's true. So you just have to come and ask, does it come in large print? Exactly. Okay.
2: And if I were a betting woman, which I am, I I would bet that this one is because of the subject matter and that many Agatha Christie fans are senior citizens and Uh they want to sell this book. So I'm betting it is. But you're right. Not every book is available in large print. Large print is expensive. It takes a lot more material Mm because if you've ever compared the size of a large print book to the size of the regular book... So, yeah, they can't do it for all of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Another one that was fun is called uh, Killers of a Certain Age by Dina Rayborn. This one, I could totally see the movie. Like, as I was reading, I'm like, Helen Mirren needs to be in this movie. (laughs) Because it's about senior citizen female assassin crew. They're gathered together. (laughs) They think to celebrate their retirement. And then someone tries to kill them. So then they realize there's a hit out on them. Uh So then they have to use all the skills they've acquired accumulated in all these years of being assassins to figure out who's trying to kill them and stop them that oh, would make a great movie i know i can totally see helen maron as yeah. the lead person it was very fun yeah. if you're just if you like a mystery that's just like super balls to the walls fun you know very propulsive very plot driven this is a great one
0: uh, there's almost like this sub genre now of books about <laughs> old people doing some crazy stuff Old people doing crazy stuff <laughs>
2: Because old people buy the books so, <laughs> and watch the movies, so yes,
1: they're not all sitting around thinking about
0: math. They're <laughs> also assassins. Yes.
2: But it was super fun. Yeah. yeah, and I would not be surprised if this was a kickoff. It ends in a, a place where they maybe there. It's there'll be another. We're getting the band back together because <laughs> there's totally room for that if she wanted to go that way. Okay. Depending on how this one does. Another interesting mystery um, is called White Horse. It's by Erica Worth. And it's, this is kind of appropriate to be talking about during Native American Heritage Month because it's a debut about an urban Native woman who has to face her past when she discovers a bracelet that's haunted by her mother's spirit. So you've got a couple of things going on. There's an actual like mystery, but there's also ancestor stories and grief and trauma from both the way that Native Americans have been treated at large and also in this particular family. So it's super dark and murky and so the people at my store who really like that sort of you can't make a mystery dark enough for me are really really vibing on this one. Oh
0: wow okay so when you mean dark like how do you describe dark what do you well, mean like by psychologically it? dark
2: like okay. there's, it's, it's kind of messed up
0: is, okay is mm-hmm. usually
2: what the youngsters at my store it's like it's messed up and they mean <laughs> that as a compliment so like oh it's like oh okay it's messed up. i like it <laughs> moving on to sci-fi One that's kind of in sci-fi, although it's also very literary, Uh, Celeste Ng has a new book. It's called Our Missing Hearts. And she's kind of going a little off the beaten path. And uh, it's a dystopian. Oh, Uh, And it's kind of like a a new telling of Fahrenheit 451. A young man's mother who was a poet has gone missing because of things that she's written. He's trying to find her and kind of navigate this dystopian society where he can hopefully figure out where she is without obviously falling afoul of the authorities who want to police everything. So it's it's got a couple of things going on. It's got a, you know, ties that bind, a world building with this particular dystopia and her just like beautiful,
0: beautiful mm. language. I'm seeing a pattern here. I'm thinking there have been several authors who don't normally write dystopian, who their most recent release is. Like, I'm thinking about the Silas House book, Lark Ascending. That is totally... It's yes. not been in his repertoire before, yes. and that is a dystopian. I, I wonder if it's like... It's called uh, 2016 until COVID, now. <laughs> you know, our political climate right now. Yes, And also in the Silas House, literally the climate, like the yeah. urgency
2: about mm-hmm. the planet, I think, was mm-hmm. one of the reasons. We were at his louisville launch event and uh he did talk about that being one of the impetuses for writing lark ascending he also said frankly he just had uh you know a dream and one of the ones to write a story about a, a boy and a dog walking through ireland like, yeah that was the the bare bones of the idea mm-hmm. and then sort of built up a lot yeah. in a d- unusual ways for him yeah but yeah i think you're right it's like the world and also you know trends there have been bestsellers, so maybe mm-hmm. that encourages people too. like, there's a market for this. People are hungry for this. Like, mm-hmm. even though it seems like maybe they wouldn't be, they'd want escapism, or maybe they also want some fiction that resonates because it
0: seems like eerily close to where we are or just a few steps away from where we could be. Well, it's just, to me, another example of how, you know, art imitates Life and you know you see trends in books throughout history about you know what's going on in the culture and then it's reflected in Mm -hmm. what's going on in art and I feel like you know when I say it's a trend because two authors have done it (laughs) seems to me there's probably that might not be a trend but just I think I think
2: you're right I think there's more to them than that and I think we'll probably see more of it too Mm -hmm. just because if there is a big bestseller like maybe you as Joe reader read it and you don't really think I love Dystopia but you like that one Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. then another one comes you're like oh. So maybe your idea of what that could be is expanded also. Like it's not just 1984 or it's mm-hmm. not just right. Fahrenheit 451. It could right. be this too. It could be kind of adjacent to what we already have in real life, but amped up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and kudos to them. You know, she could have just written another literary novel about, you know, another family or, you know, another relationship as she's done in the past and probably had it a bestseller and it probably would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. And Silas could have written another book about Appalachia or, you know, being queer in Appalachia and people would have been like, fantastic, awesome. But they, you know, kudos to them for swinging for the fences and like, hey, I'm going to try to do something different. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I appreciate it when authors, and well, and really anybody, musicians or whoever, you know, it's like, do you really want to keep doing the same thing your whole life
2: well and I don't, that doesn't mean i like every time they try something different either right i don't think anybody does but i still admire that because i feel like the pressure would be to keep doing the same thing over right. and over again right it's like yes bruce write another song about new jersey <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but no it's like we're gonna write about something else right. okay right also a fun one if fun is the right word for a book <laughs> called leech it's by hyren ennis It's like Wuthering Heights with Worms is the way our (laughs) sci-fi hero described it. (laughs) Which, judging by the expression, this is a podcast so you can't see their faces, but one host is laughing and one host is horrified. So perhaps if you have people on your list that would be the laughing people, this could be a book for them. I'm
1: just trying to figure out, I'm just like, (laughs) are the characters the worms? Are
2: they, you know, anyway... Carry on. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> well, it's it's if, it'd be great for people who like gothic. It's also great for people who aren't afraid of a little body horror. So it's kind of a, a mesh of a couple things. But the writing is top notch. Okay.
1: So. I am putting that on the list right this second. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I know what I'm getting myself for Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas
2: to me. <laughs> uh, in nonfiction, a couple of titles I want to talk about. Uh, obviously, Michelle Obama has a new book.
0: So that's It just came out like yesterday,
2: right? Yes, that's cause for rejoicing. Um, It's about overcoming uncertain times, which of course couldn't be more timely. So I'm feeling it's going to be under a lot of Christmas trees or under by the menorah this year, for sure. Also, Year of the Tiger, I don't know if you're familiar with Alice Wong. She's a disability activist and she wrote a book that's kind of like a template for that sort of thing called Disability Visibility. Mm. But she has a memoir out which is about her life as an activist. It, it's really kind of surprisingly beautiful because the writing she's done before has been very pragmatic and straightforward, but she also has a real flair for telling a great story about herself too. So we've been selling a lot of that and recommending a lot of that. It's mm. like, especially if uh, the person you're giving gift to really appreciates a, a memoir of an unexpected kind of life. Mm. Also, we're super excited that Ross Gay has a new book. He's definitely Carmichael's favorite. Um, If you've never read Ross Gay, you need to read Ross Gay. But he's definitely one of those authors who's kind of... You either love Ross Gay and want him to be your best friend, and you want him to write you an essay every morning that you could read when you're waking up to set your tone for the day, or you think Ross Gay overwrites, and you're like, whoa, whoa (laughs) with the words and the footnotes, man. (laughs) I personally fall into the former category. Like, I love the way he writes. But I do know there are some people who are just like, would love to be his editor and 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 just pair him on down. But I don't think that's what, what Roscae is all about. Yeah. But this new one is called Inciting Joy. And he's essentially asking the question, is joy an appropriate subject for a man, especially a black man, to write about in 2022? Mm. So he cites 12 incitements in his own life to joy, ranging from cover songs to pick up basketball and writes an essay about each of them. And not, probably not surprisingly, the answer to the question is, yes, joy is an absolutely necessity. Not only is it a great subject to write about, it's a necessity to write about.
1: I like his work. And, and you know, I'm not particularly joyful, happy, <laughs> smiley person. Say it isn't so. I know. But the way he does it, it's, to me anyway, you know, like I don't like sentimentality. But his does not feel sticky sweet. It, it feels very authentic and it, you know, there's a little tiny bit you'll get a little bit of snark. But it's not, I don't know. There's just something about his writing that I really appreciate. And it makes me feel
0: happy and it makes me feel grateful. And Carrie and I have tickets to his author event with Carmichael's in, on the 28th of November. Yeah. Yes. And I just saw that it, you must have sold so many tickets that now you have to move to a bigger venue. Yes. So... It has been moved from the store down the street to
2: Crescent Hill Baptist, who are are great partners with us and helping us host events that are too large for our store. So yes, if you're hearing this and it's before that date and you live in Louisville or close to Louisville, I would encourage you to come because I feel like it's going to be one of those magical events that you're just like, I'm so glad I came out tonight because that was fantastic. I'm very excited for it. Uh, I can only imagine like, Ross Gay in person is, like, oh. times 100, <laughs> Ross Gay on the page. So, very exciting. And it, it, if someone is new to Ross Gay, I do feel like this would be a really great gift. Or if you just need a book gift, because mm-hmm. it cuts a wide swath. Because people who like music would like it. People who like basketball would like it. People who like a good essay would like it. People who just want to dip into something and maybe they don't read cover to cover would like it. So, I feel like it, it for gifts, it would be a really great one because it would hit a bunch of different readers. Mm-hmm. Another fun one, uh, Stacey Schiff is one of my favorite historians. She had a great book about the Salem witch trials. She had a great book about Cleopatra. Uh, her new book is about Sam Adams, not the beer, the <laughs> revolutionary founding father. And it's kind of making a case that he was the most important one, which I don't feel like is a case that I've ever heard before. I mean, post-Hamilton, like, everyone's kind of leaning that way. You know, before that, maybe people thought Thomas Jefferson or George Washington would have been, like, the most important or most significant. But she's making the case that it was Sam Adams. Hmm. So I've not read it yet, but I can definitely vouch for her other books. Her scholarship is great. And she writes history in a very approachable way that I think even non-historians, if you're interested in the subject, would be interested in that book.
0: (laughs) This sounds like a good, I'm not saying that only dads can read it, but oh, yeah. this sounds like a good dad book. Absolutely. You know, there's there's certain books that just yes lend themselves well to a gift for dad that you don't know what else to get him. You know, like with the socks and the underwear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well yeah. said.
2: Another one of those, and again, not to diminish the historian, because John Meacham is also one of our best and brightest history stars, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, Pulitzer Prize winner, you can't be... He has a new book about Lincoln. So it's like two great things. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, do we need another book Book about Lincoln? (laughs) Lincoln? But if it's written by John Meacham, I I say we do because he's fantastic. So there's also that if dad Mm -hmm. likes a slightly later American history period. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you could get him two gifts. If dad's been really good this year, you could get him two books. (laughs) (laughs) And then a biography that I'm dipping into is... Paul Newman, Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man, which was written by himself. Uh, Before he passed away, he was planning on writing this, but he was kind of stymied about how to begin. So he hired an interviewer to come interview him and everybody else in his circle to talk about things from which he planned to call material to write the book. So since he wasn't able to complete that, his daughters spearheaded two projects, one of which is this book. So they had... Someone come do exactly what he had proposed to do, which is call through all this stuff, listen to all these tapes, and then build the book. The other thing they did was work with Ethan Hawke to make a documentary, which came out earlier in the fall, about both of their parents. Well, in one of the daughter's cases, only her father, because Joanne Woodward was her stepmother. And that's called The Last Movie Stars, which Mm. I watched and I thought it was fantastic, because what he did with that was cast actor friends to play the parts vocally, sort of the way Ken Burns does in his documentaries. Mm -hmm. But that added like a whole other level of interest. Paul Newman has a certain image of cool, of being masculine, being very confident. And in real life, the man was completely opposite, apparently. Like Mm. he was not a very confident person at all. He had big imposter syndrome, which really surprised me because that certainly does not come across in his acting. So it was really, really interesting to me. Both projects, like how they brought to life mm. a whole other side. I, As someone who's seen like, you know, 95% of his movies, mm. something I never would have
0: considered from him. The movie, was it on on a streaming service? I think
2: it was. Uh,
0: I'd have to look it up. Uh, right now it's
1: HBO Max. Mm. Okay.
2: It would be great for a fan, but it was also kind of interesting too just from uh, if someone likes biographies in general – that again might show a flip side to somebody that you're like, "Oh, I thought this is what they were like. Mm-hmm. They're actually something completely different
0: mm-hmm.
2: and because it's has it's not just him writing, it's other people's writing and mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to, to be, have him being like, "I was terrible, that was my worst performance, and then somebody else immediately saying he was fantastic, mm-hmm. it was
0: amazing." Yeah, I've read a couple of biographies that are like that, where you get their words and then everybody around perception of the same thing. And it's interesting to see when it's very different, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it, it helps you develop that full picture, mm-hmm. you know.
2: But it's like, yeah, you're Paul freaking new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? But again, it's like bringing a star down to earth mm-hmm. in a really mm-hmm. interesting way. As far as cookbooks, there's some really mm. great cookbooks. Uh, Gatto. Uh, is a new one about French cake, which is
0: gorgeous. Oh, ordinary. I thought you Look were going to say it
2: was about cooking cats. <laughs> oh, no.
0: It's G-A-T-E-A-U. Yes. The, oh. other, the other
1: gâteau. Oh. Uh-huh. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And they,
2: okay. surprisingly, I mean, that sounds super complicated to me, but the, the recipes offered are not any more complicated than something you'd find in Betty Crocker. So uh-huh. you get all of the capital F French, but uh-huh. all the simplicity of Betty Crocker. Okay, so for all and the also bakers. they have some they has some really beautiful if you like a beautiful cookbook. Mm. Instead of going with photography, they went with watercolor images oh. of them. So it's really pretty. Also, Molly Ye, if you know her, uh, she's the host of Girl Meets Farm. She has a new cookbook called Home Is Where the Eggs Are. Because of course she lives on a farm. And it has some very like I think the trend for this holiday season for many of the cookbooks is which maybe is because of the pandemic. They're either going to be super complicated and, like, very big, splashy, whatever, or this is what you can make on an average weekday with not a lot of Mm -hmm. this. Hers is the second because it has recipes, like, Hot Dog Chop Salad, which is my favorite one.
0: Whoa.
2: <laughs> she's also in the Midwest. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some some of that. Yeah. But hers, if you've ever watched her, she's very, super charming. And her recipes, I have made several of them. They're terrific. Tastes great. So oh, well, I she's like having that uh,
0: recommendation from mm-hmm. Sam the Chef. <laughs> Certainly not.
2: <laughs> but another one in that line, Melissa Clark, who writes for the New York yeah. Times, she has, also has terrific recipes. Her new one is dinner in one, which, so it's all one pot thing. So mm. whether it's your cast iron, whether it's on a sheet pan, it's dinner in one because she's with the New York times. It's a, 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 it's like a level a, up. From yeah. A
0: step above. I love me a sheet pan dinner. Same. Yeah. They're awesome.
2: It's good for people who are like me, who can't who struggle with the timing because mm. it is mm. like, well, it's all done at the same time. Mm. Yep. Uh, but another one in that trend, the new barefoot Contessa mm. from Ina garden is called go to dinners. And again, her specifically geared towards,
0: hey, it's Tuesday, you're dragging ass already, here's what to make. Right. Well, that one's going to be an instant bestseller because Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garden has a cult yes. following. Mm-hmm.
2: As far as new Kentucky titles, we kind of already teased one of the ones that I was going to talk about, which is, of course, the new Silas House, mm-hmm. which is doing fantastic. He's still on tour right now. But it's as we said before, it's a little different because this one is dystopian, which is not normally what we expect from him. But it's about climate change and one refugee who leaves America to go to Ireland where there's a supposed safe place. Uh, there's also a heroic dog, which I'm always down for a good heroic dog <laughs> in a book. Also, Barbara Kingsolver, we kind of name-dropped her already. Um, she has a new one also. It's called Demon Copperhead. It's basically a retelling of David Copperfield set in present-day Appalachia. So we're talking about double-wide trailers. We're talking about fentanyl. We're talking about the struggles in that particular part of the world, but shot through that Dickinsonian picturesque kind of lens.
0: I have a confession to make that I bought that book while I was in Ireland at an, at an Irish independent bookstore because their copy, I just liked the cover and it had this (laughs) beautiful, it has painted edges. Nice. And it was really, it was just pretty. And in fact, my husband was not a big fan of me buying any books in Ireland because we have to, you know, put them in our suitcase and tote them back home. And, I made, and I'd made—I and already bought, like, a couple books. And I made him go back with me one morning before we left this one particular town to go to this bookstore when they opened so I could buy this book. And I almost made us late to his Guinness tour. So he's not maybe a fan of the book.
2: Everyone else recommends it except for Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual writing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another local one that we've been selling a lot of and we were happy to have the, an event for was Erin Keene. Mm. She's a salon writer. Um, and her new memoir is called Runaway. It's very interesting because it combines two stories. One of her mother, who was a runaway in the 70s, and one about herself trying to reconstruct the history of her mother being a runaway in the 70s. Her mother is still alive, so she could talk to her mother, but many of the other key players were not which meant that Erin had to do some history to try to figure out the missing pieces. Um, also, because she frequently writes about pop culture for Salon, there are some pop culture things in there as well. We, we interviewed Erin for the show, but it, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. It's very unusual subject matter. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciated that kind of willingness to dig that she had. I really, I really like that one. Uh, another good one that would be great for your like farm to table or sustainable friends is one called Landings. It's by Arwen Donahue. It's called the subtitle is a Crooked Creek Farm Year. So it's a, basically a poetic distillation of one year on this farm. So every day has an entry. And it also has some beautiful watercolor illustrations of what the farm looks like at the various times she's describing. So it's just like a beautiful, lovely, lyrical gift. So when you say it's poet, is it poetry? No, it's just like an entry about that particular day on the farm. Hmm. Like it's very lyrical, okay. but it's not actually poetry. Okay. And
0: the author's from Kentucky. She is, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: And again, another like gift book. Pre- yeah. It's like has the nice illustrations. It makes for a really nice presentation, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, another local one, there's a new book about Waverly Hills, which is of course the sanitarium that was here where many, many people were got well and cured. Unfortunately, many people died as well. Mostly these days, it's known as being super haunted and there are ghost tours there. But this particular book, the author is Lynn Pohl, is about the history of the hospital when it was still actively a hospital. And it was interesting to us when we hosted the event. And even as people are still coming in and buying it, how many people were touched by this place Mm -hmm. and how many people can come in and say, my dad was there and he got better and he Mm -hmm. came back to us or my aunt was there or whatever. Like there are lots and lots of If you only think of it as that's where the spooky ghost thing was, there's
0: way more to the history of that place than that. Mm -hmm. I think if you have family who's from here, my father-in-law talks about he had an uncle Mm -hmm. who was at Waverly Hills battling TB. And it's amazing how many people had TB. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: I found out my grandfather worked at Waverly Hills, which I'd I'd never known that. But that might be one I get for my mom and dad for Christmas because I think they would find it interesting.
2: It is local history, that I don't think most people know unless you had that family experience, then maybe you would know. Mm-hmm. But, like, we have a Sunday regular who's in her 80s who comes in and her dad was there. And so she was telling us, she saw it on the display counter display when she was buying her newspaper and told us a really great story about, like, how her dad was there and, like... They could go visit, but then there was, like, a, a pane of glass that mm-hmm. they could see him and, and, like, talk to him and hear what he was saying. But, like, they obviously couldn't be in the same room with him because he was still contagious. Mm-hmm. And, like, there were different levels. So you, you were in this ward while you were during this part of your illness, and then you moved to another ward, gradually, hopefully moving towards getting able to go home again. Mm-hmm. So it surprised me when it came out because I was like, oh, okay, this is what it is. But, yeah, it's really sticking a chord with local readers for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and then also wanted to mention uh, Kentucky treasure Wendell Berry has a new book. Uh, it's called How It Went. It's fourteen new stories from Port William. Oh, only I think only one or two of them have been published before, so they are mm-hmm. brand new. So kudos to him for more taking
0: us back there to Port William. So this was the one that has H- Hannah Coulter yes. and J- is Jaber Crow in there, yes. and then what Nathan yes. Coulter? That whole series set yes. in Port William exactly. Good deal. Do you have anything for kiddos? I do have things for kiddos. Obviously, there's
2: more than we could talk about in just this time. So I picked just a few highlights. One of which, uh, I love Sophie Blackall. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a picture book writer and illustrator. She's won the Caldecott for her book about the lighthouse. She has a new book called Farmhouse. When she bought her property where she lives in Connecticut, there was a house. But there was also an old abandoned farmhouse. So she was fascinated by it as a writer and artist. So she before they tore it down, like spent weeks and weeks there. And there was like old wallpaper still there that she pulled off the wall. There was lots of ephemera left like buttons and pieces of fabric and all of which she harvested to make this book. Hmm. So then she did a bunch of research about the family that lived there who had like a blue million children. So she's made this beautiful picture book using actual artifacts from the actual house that she's writing about. So not only do you have her fascinating and beautiful illustrations, which are, if you're not familiar with her work, she's one of those picture book authors that you'll see something new every time you mm. look at it, which I think must be a blessing for a parent when you have to reread the book over and over mm. again to find something new visually every time you look at it. But she also did some a deep dive and research to do it too. So it's really, really beautiful. It's one of my favorite new picture books for sure. Another one of my new favorites is actually an old favorite, John Cheska who wrote The Stinky Cheese Man Mm -hmm. and The True Story of the Three Little Pigs. He has a new book. It's called The Real Dada Mother Goose, where he (laughs) applies the artistic (laughs) principles of Dadaism to classic Mother Goose rhymes, both in the rhyme and in the illustrations. So it's weird. (laughs) Which you love. But I like it. And I think it was a really fascinating like, it had been out for a couple months before I even discovered it. So I don't know. Like, maybe the publisher didn't know what to do with it. Or maybe they felt like John Cheska, it's been so long since he's had a book out, even though he's won the Caldecott also. But in his normal, I subvert the story mm. kind of way, he's doing that with nursery rhymes. Mm. Which are already sometimes, like, really weird to start yeah, out with. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that one, too. Another picture book that I really like is called, This Story is Not About a Kitten. <laughs> it's randall de is the author and illustrator and it's about a kitten but it's not <laughs> as the title indicates it's actually about neighbors coming together to rescue this kitten it's about the community that's formed by neighbors who didn't know each other coming together to rescue this kitten it's about community and it's really lovely because it's repeating text that can conti- that builds the story mm. and it's like what you were talking about earlier, Carrie, where it's like a feel-good book that's not doesn't make you want to throw up
1: because mm-hmm,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. it's. And I'm, I said in my staff pick review of it, like it's a great bomb for the days when you're like, people suck.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Cause yeah. Because then you
2: can read this book and you're like, okay, well, maybe they don't always suck. Yeah, but it's the illustrations are fun, and they, I really love the concept of it. And there is actually a kitten in it. There's actually a kitten okay. in it. All right, just making sure. For middle grade folks, uh, Colin Malloy, if they're a fan of uh, Wildwood has a new book, and it's kind of very, very similar to like Stranger Things. Mm. So uh, kiddos who watch that show, even if they're slightly older than middle grade, we've been selling a lot to them because it they're really strong vibes of that show in this book. But he loves spooky. He loves imaginary worlds. He loves a big book. <laughs> so he not only is a great lyricist, as we know, if we're Decembrist fans, he's also a really terrific middle grade author. So I'm glad he has a new book. One also that is a little bit, well, little, uh, a lot darker. Uh, <laughs> if you're a fan of Kwame Alexander, who, of course, has the crossover and a bunch of sports books that are told in verse. His new one is also told in verse. It's called Door of No Return. Mm. But it's about slavery. And it's about a boy who goes to the Door of No Return, which is the name for that port in Ghana. Mm. in Ghana mm. and comes, of course, is brought to America. So... I feel like this is one that's going to be taught for a long time. I feel like this is going to be added to the canon of that literature Mm -hmm. because obviously he's a terrific writer, but he's, again, somebody who's making an abrupt shift from what they've written about before to something new. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, I wanted to mention that uh, for Braiding Sweetgrass fans, which is Robin Wall Kimmerer, if you're unfamiliar with that book, it's a a book about indigenous plants and indigenous writing, indigenous culture and how though it's like a really great nature book, and it had been a classic bestseller, and then we hit the pandemic, and then people could not get enough of it. And I don't know if it's because they couldn't go outside. Mm-hmm. I didn't, don't know if it's because it has such basic essential truths that it was very comforting to read those during that time. But literally, it had a whole another life in the pandemic as like a pandemic bestseller. And now they've adapted it as publishers like to do for young readers so there's one for young readers too again appropriate for Native American Heritage Month I also wanted to mention one that's a graphic novel called The Wolf Suit by Sid Sharp just because it's so ridiculous I love it <laughs> uh, sheep bellwether Rigwetter is out of blackberries and so must enter the forest to restock so he wears a wolf suit for protection he meets a bunch of other wolves and tries to pass as a wolf with hilarious results (laughs) it's yes next time you guys are in the store you should look for it people listening should look for it and stores where you are because it's it's well worth that 10 minutes of your life that you will spend Hmm. all right
0: good so many good suggestions yes let's take a little break okay and when we come back if you don't already have too many books on your tbr we're gonna add just a couple more we're gonna talk about what we're reading Work back, and that we're gonna finish this off strong. Carrie, have you decided yet what book you're gonna talk about? Because you were still looking at your Goodreads list, which means you might not actually be ready to talk about it. Uh,
1: I am ready, I know what I'm gonna talk about, I just have to pull it up on my Goodreads list. Okay, uh, there it is. Okay, so this is a book by a Kentucky writer, actually, a Louisville writer that we have had on our show. And I gave this book five stars. It was fantastic. So the book is called The Nightmare Man by J.H. Markert. And Markert has other books under James Markert. And so he actually wrote a novel about Waverly Hills uh, called A White Wind Blue that I have read. But he has ventured into horror with this book. And it was so good. Now, it does not come out until, I believe, January, January 2023. But if you like horror, it's it's fabulous. I, I rarely give five stars to any book. But it is about the Bookman family. And so this family, they own property and there's a mansion. But there's also like an insane asylum. So how could you go wrong, right? So Ben Bookman is a novelist. And he is writing a new novel. And he publishes it and some um, a murder happens and somebody commits suicide in the bookstore on the night that he is, he's signing books and doing his author thing. And so then these two events lead you into this really dark history of the Bookman family. It's creepy. It's like family saga. And it's also like this dark magic thing going on. I It's really hard for me to describe with I don't want to give too much away because there's right. so much that's interesting. But it was absolutely propulsive. I stayed up way too late, many nights just wanting to get to the end. And I follow James Markert on Instagram. And I believe he said he's got another two books coming out. And I think he's going to have more about this family. It was really, really good. So if you like horror, maybe pre-order it. You know, if you have a horror person, pre-order it for January because it was fantastic. So it's called The Nightmare Man by J.H. Markert. Five stars.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting because his other books have been historical fiction. Yes. I don't know that he closed the door on that forever, but he's kind of going in this new direction. And it sounds like yeah, it's, he's, yeah. he's very... It Successful. Was, at it, it was it. awesome, and but I think it's
1: interesting because when we interviewed him, he talked about how when he was in high school, he loved Stephen King, and he was so influenced by Stephen King's. So maybe that's where he should have been all along. But really good stuff. So, very good. well, Sam, you've talked about a lot of books, but do you have something that you know you're working on now that you want to talk about?
2: Yes, I want to talk about Battle by R.F.K. King. Oh, I'm interested so about this. I'm hearing very diverse. Oh events. my gosh. It's so big. Yeah. There's a lot to say. But essentially, it's uh, alternate history of Oxford, the university in England, where in this universe, silver runs everything. Trains run on silver and machines run on silver and electricity. The electrical grid runs on silver and the sewers work because of silver. Hmm. And the way that this works is you have two different words in two different languages And then someone who speaks both of those languages fluently is able to activate that bar of silver to do whatever task you want it to do because they are fluent in both of those languages. So our story is, a young boy from China becomes a ward of an Englishman and is being brought up to go to this version of Oxford to learn translation because he already has Chinese mastered because he's from China. And the other thing to consider is that the more the languages are used, the less powerful the bond with the silver is. So Mm. England is very interested in Asiatic languages or languages from other parts of the world that they have not mastered yet because that makes for more powerful silver. Mm. So there's a lot going on here. It's kind of very reminiscent of his dark materials, the Mm. Philip Pullman stuff, because it's an alternate history of Oxford. She's talking about colonialism. She's talking about who has the power. She's talking about the beauty of language. She's talking about the beauty of translation. It's There's so many good things going on. Like at the beginning of the book, this boy's found a family. He's found purpose. He loves to learn. Oxford's wonderful until the veil is removed from his eyes and he realizes what a power broker is and what is actually going on, especially to his homeland. So then he has to decide, what am I going to do with that knowledge? Am I going to be part of this process or am I going to subvert this process it's so interesting it's so good it operates on so many different levels the language is so wonderful but golly uh, you'll be thinking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks after you
0: read we do a feature once a week on our instagram where we ask a book lover you know to tell us about a book that they think should be on our five-star bookshelf and that was one recently that a book lover recommended. i'm not surprised I, i mean i really do think it's masterfully done
2: okay so i think even for people who think like me I think I don't like fantasy. You might like this. It has
0: crossover appeal. Absolutely. Well,
2: and and I love Philip Pullman. And she's a terrific writer. Yeah. Just, you know, so like even if you're just like, oh, I love to read beautiful, skilled writing. And she Mm -hmm. makes absolutely great use of footnotes, throwing in actual history and actually her imagined history. Mm. And so, like, you'll learn a bunch of stuff about Chinese and the way the Chinese language works just from osmosis. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. It would
0: definitely be five stars for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Okay, Amy, do you have anything? What do you got? Okay. And you know how a couple weeks ago you said, well, maybe you need to give up audiobooks for a little while because I was having trouble finding one that was really capturing my attention because I had just DNF'd an audiobook that was grossing me out. It's that horror book about worms. And I was having trouble finding one. Well, I did what I often do when – I need like a palate cleanser and something to reboot me. I went to a David Sedaris book. So I listened to the most recent David Sedaris book called Happy Go Lucky. It came out at the beginning of the summer, I believe. And I'm generally a David Sedaris fan. I've been to see him twice, I think, do readings here in Louisville. This one focused a lot on COVID. It also focused a lot on his father, who passed away. And I mean, if you've read any of his other books, you know that he has a very complicated relationship with his father. And so this one was about the demise of his father. And it's funny because his father had been difficult his whole life until he said the last six months, and then he turned into an angel. (laughs) It was like his whole personality changed. Hmm. There were a few essays where I thought, I don't know, he's maybe bringing up some dirty family laundry mm-hmm. that I wonder if some of his other family members maybe wished he hadn't talked about. But overall, I mean, I, I listened to this, he narrates it, he, he's always a wonderful narrator of his own work. And it made me laugh out loud many times. An interesting fact that I learned was that his partner Hugh is from Louisville. Oh, and I did not know that. I don't think I knew that either. And Hugh's mother, I think, is in a, in a assisted living facility here. And so they come to visit often. Huh.
2: They do. And it's really fun. I can say Amy as the local bookseller when they come into the store, when he's not on tour, obviously he comes and he either has a performance or sometimes if he has a new book, we'll have him for a signing. But sometimes they just come to visit. His mom, and so then they when they come to the store, it's totally on the download. So you're just like shelving books, or you're doing something else, and then you hear <laughs> his voice. That's David Sedaris' voice. voice. And you're like David Sedaris is here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do recommend it if you like David Sedaris, and it broke my audiobook mm. slump. Is it something that
1: maybe that somebody, even if they don't know anything about David Sedaris, somebody who just has
0: an aging parent, does it primarily cover like his relationship with his dad? I mean, I kind of feel like with most David Sedaris, you can pick up any David Sedaris book and just go with it. Mm-hmm. He he does mention a little bit about why he has very mixed feelings mm-hmm. about his father. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you don't get the whole history. Right, he talks right. about that in other right. books mm-hmm. as well. But again, like I said, I feel like almost with any of his collections, you can kind of just, you can pick them up. Anywhere. I mean I've read them all of them out of order. I Mm -hmm. mean, so it's not like you have to to do that. But his his observations on life and the things around him are just so interesting and Mm -hmm. I always enjoy them. Highly recommend Happy Go Lucky by David Sedaris.
1: All right. Well, if you haven't found a book from listening to this episode, you're hopeless. So
0: (laughs) So Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays (laughs) To see Carmichael's holiday gift guide, visit their website at www.carmichael'sbookstore.com. For show notes for any episode, go
1: to our website at www.perksAbinabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod or on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover.
0: If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio
1: 106.5
0: FM, a grassroots
1: community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at forwardradio.org.